We just saw Dune Part 2. <gasps> you probably just saw Dune Part 2. <gasps> Let's fucking talk about it. Yes! Welcome to Gamjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV mm. and film. Oh, My name's Abu. My name's Leo. Leo, we saw the movie. We saw the movie. My God. <laughs> so fucking good. So and good. Uh, if you're listening to this, you saw it too. That's right. Seriously. If you didn't see it, stop listening. Stop. What are you doing? Leave. This drop and roll. Stop, drop, and then into roll. Into your local IMAX theater. <laughs> roll right into those voting booths. <laughs> roll to the whatever it was. Yeah. This movie was incredible, and you deserve to see it totally fresh. We are going to be spoiling it today. So make sure you've seen it. This episode will be there waiting for you. That's right. When you're done. And my goal with this episode is it's going to be the exciting conversation that you might want to have right out of the theater. So go see it. And then once you've seen it in the theater, preferably IMAX, pop your little budsies into your earsies, hit mm -hmm. playsies, and listen to us, zzzzs. <laughs> Indeed, zzzzs. Yeah. <laughs> and look, if you haven't seen the movie yet, but you're still dying to know what we think about it, don't you worry, we got you covered. Look back in the feed. We've already released a completely spoiler-free review of Dune Part 2. So go check that out instead. Then go watch the movie. Then go back and listen to this. Order of Operations. Indeed. That's what we were taught in elementary school. <laughs> now, before we begin, of course, as always, a huge, huge shout-out to our Quisats Hatterack level patrons. Mm. We have five Quisats Hatterack level patrons, and those are Case Aiken, Daniel Dion, Roman Caballo, Jonathan oh Lambert, goodness. and C. R. Spruill. Wow. Thank you to all of the Quisats Hatterack level patrons, but of course, all of our patrons. Uh, you make what we do possible. You do. Okay, housekeeping out of the way, spoiler warning out of the way. We've given you ample time to back out of this episode if you haven't watched the movie yet. Yeah. Here's the game plan. So in uh, some sort of attempt to restrain ourselves and stop <laughs> this episode from becoming a six-hour worm ride through the whole film. That one's later. Yeah. That one is coming. We've instead, for today's discussion, each picked three topics mm -hmm. that we want to talk about and geek out about. Yeah. Now, if you are hungry for that six-hour worm ride deep dive analysis of the movie like we did for Dune Part 1, not to worry. Like we said, that is coming. We just need an opportunity to see the film again, take some more notes, refresh our memories. And then, obviously, an episode like that takes a lot of production time and production work. So yep. we ask for your patience. That episode is coming. Indeed it is. But before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break. So... Dear listener, don't go anywhere. When we're back, we're talking about Dune Part 2. Oh my god. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back, everyone. Leo, let's get into the first topic you chose for our conversation today. What do you want to talk about? Oh, my God. I got to talk about the fights. I got to talk about the fight choreography, the battles, the fights. Unbelievable. Truly. I had so much fun in these different fights, and I wanted to take a moment to just celebrate the ones that are still very much like front of mind. Let's do it. First, oh my gosh, that first tense encounter with the Harkonnen patrol, the Fremen literally just going fucking bye. Hey, you two stay here, <laughs> and then leaving. <laughs> Hilarious. Seeing the Harkonnen soldiers suspenser climb up the rock. Oh, and the music kicks in at that moment. Oh, so good. That song sounded so good. And we see them shoot the thumper. They're like, oh, the rats are calling yes. calling a worm. They shoot the thumper. We are seeing Harkonnen strategy that has evolved out of conflicts with the Fremen. Mm-hmm. What cool world building. Amazing. So cool. And they get sniped. I couldn't tell if it was like Mala pistol or some other kind of projectile. But fucking great. Paul has to get his second kill that little fight, that little skirmish was great. And then, of course, Jessica right into teaching him lessons. Delightful. Yeah, what, what a great a, what way, a way to, start to open the, movie. the film, right? Because <laughs> yeah. it, yeah. it is like the first true scene of the film. We have a couple of like title card stuff happen, but this is like we're in the movie now. And it, yeah. it starts off with a banger. And again, it's picking us up timeline wise. It's just such a great way to welcome us into the next part. Right. Now, the next moment that I wanted to highlight is the Fremen raid on the Harkonnen Spice Harvester. Oh, my goodness. So fucking cool. Starts with the sand snorks, the sand snorkels, and then they burst out. They're sprinting in the shadows. They're killing people. It's so fucking cool. (laughs) I've said this before in a previous episode, but I will never tire of watching fremen emerge from the sand just full like dead sprint you know yeah. like usain bolt right at a harkonnen knife in hand yeah yeah zero to full sprint it it just never not looks cool it it's happens so cool. a couple of times in this film and it happens yeah. very well in this spice harvester scene and the way they uh. time the beats of the music to hit just yeah. as they yeah. emerge from the sand and charge the harkonnens oh my goodness also like the awareness they're close to the spice harvester they're using it as cover basically yeah. from the ornithopter and they just mow through these harkonnen soldiers totally out of their depths ducking underneath the spice harvester oh, and then going goodness. to the other side and then of course 
the moment where Paul fights the two. One of them gets past him, almost gets to Johnny. And he goes, Johnny! And she just turns and is like, yeah, what? And shoots the rocket point blank. Blip! (laughs) That reaction time. Incredible. Oh, my God. We We were in a theater with movie critics. And everyone laughed. Like, yeah. It was like just the incredulity of that gutsy move. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. I also love this little moment. Paul says, I'll tell you when to fire. I'm going to get them to shoot at me. Don't worry. I've got this. He gets ready to run. He starts running toward the other like forward arm of the spice harvester. Right. And it starts moving and he goes to himself. Oh, shit. You know, like, fuck my plan. And then the gunner shoots at him misses him it seems by chance like almost purely because paul got lucky but you imagine seeing this from the fremen perspective at a distance you don't hear paul going oh shit man right. my plan is gone fuck. right you're just seeing him run confidently into the open dodging all of the bullets yep allowing Chani to take it down right as if he were some sort of <laughs> uh-huh i don't know I don't know. <laughs> if only there were. No, I don't know. I, I have no idea. No, I, yeah, I was gonna. Uh, no, yeah, no, <laughs> nothing comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's very cool to see the little moments that in the book, of course, Paul says, of course, anytime I do anything, they're gonna reinterpret this as like divine action. Yep. But we're seeing that, and it's not even like dwelled upon or called out. It's just like we're allowed to, as an audience, put those dots together. Yeah. Not to mention every moment that they're next to that giant spice harvester factory. I believed it was real. Like, I just believed it was fully 100% next to them. I do not know how they shot this sequence without building a literal (laughs) working spice harvester factory. Right. It's wild. Incredible stuff. Yeah, the visuals were stunning. This was like full-on war movie action scene taking place in the desert. Yeah. (laughs) And... I know there's some critics out there who think Denny Villeneuve doesn't know how to do action. They're fucking wrong. Villeneuve was like, hold my beer and my (laughs) shot of fireball whiskey. Hold my laser gun. Hold everything. (laughs) I'm throwing hands. (laughs) Yeah. Now, quickly, Fade Rautha's Coliseum fight was fucking cool. I loved just the way that they showed how psychotic Fade is. But he also, once he's in the arena and he's in the fight, he did have his own kind of twisted sense of pride and honor, right? Like he's fighting uh, Roger Yuan, uh, returning as Lieutenant Lanville, his character uh, that we saw called out in the first movie. He's also, by the way, the fight coordinator and stunt coordinator for this whole fucking movie. So dude's doing double duty, not only being in the movie, but also making it work so cool Mm -hmm. i loved the moment that the slaver puts the hook in his back like i'm helping and fade is like fucking back off don't touch him yeah like that feeling of like this needs to be a fair fight and i love that you fought well atreides is his response to roger uh, to to a landville yes and then when he gets killed by paul same Same thing. thing you fought well atreides He's just out here having a good old time. Right. He, he's, he's got his own, oh. like, twisted sense of honor. Yeah. And you can tell, I, I really like that you pointed out, like, there is this sense of, like, oh, this guy's, like, crazy, right? He's psychotic. 
this is insane and this yeah. is all spectacle. But once we're in the Coliseum and he's faced with real danger, my guy's all business. Yeah. Totally. He's like, I'm actually an incredible fucking fighter. Right. Austin Butler made that transition very well and was excellent and not leaning too hard into the haha, I'm just crazy. Yeah, totally. And even from the book, Fade Routha is kind of a child in that scene. Like yeah. he's like worried and then he's like, well, what do you think of that father? And it's like very Draco Malfoy, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. This felt so much more formidable and intimidating in a in a very good way. Yes. I just believed in Fade Routha as this like formidable character. Very, Agreed. very cool. Agreed. And then the final fight that I wanted to talk about, of course, is the final uh, duel. There's uh, other huge fights, but those were fun spectacles. I think the finale duel between Fate, Paul and Fade was one of the most important fights in the movie. Mm -hmm. If it had flopped, the entire movie would have felt anticlimactic. And I fucking loved the fight. Yep. I thought it was great. There was great like moments of clear action we know what's happening there's a couple of bullshit things like the weird flip that he does halfway through the fight i'm like did you need to you didn't i liked no, it i i like i loved the flip. it <laughs> i liked the not, flip. not only is it the like 10 percent more anime that i've been asking for since totally. part one uh -huh. but also the flip is almost like a signature paul atreides fadaken fremen move because we see him do, the, do a flip in his vision in the gold armor in the first movie, right? He yeah, does like a flippy true. flip. So I almost see this as like Apollo Trades like signature move that he's he a kind little of more, does he's it a, against he's a the training more... dummy too, doesn't he? In Correct. the like right. in the room, <laughs> just like he, alone. He's, he's a bit more acrobatic in his fighting style, perhaps yeah, than true. like than like the very cold, calculating, and aggressive fade. Yeah. That's very very. It's a good point. And I, and again, as much as I bring it up as like a. Did you need to do that? I very much liked it. It was great. Yeah. Also, Paul getting fucking stabbed oh. and just stepping back and having the knife <laughs> sticking out oh. of him was like, this This is the most anime because like you want, like we're, we're done with the like hero ends the battle completely unscathed. We want to see the main character bust up his arm Deku style, like from My Hero Academia. We want to see characters put blood, sweat, and tears into a fight, and we want to see it cost something. So seeing Paul with a fucking knife out of his side, and then the slow knife being brought into his shoulder, and then him just letting that happen in order to take the knife out of his own stomach and kill Fade Routha with it? My anime! God. Fucking anime. anime! It was incredible. so good. Incredible. <laughs> incredible. Uh, also, tiny detail... Paul says, may thy knife chip and shatter, while also doing the Atreides salute. Very cool. He is Paul Muad'Dib Atreides. Yeah. Oh, it was just exactly the finale that I wanted the movie to have. Yeah. That fight was so good. That so fight was so good. So that's my first thing. Just these fights, I think that they were a very important part of the movie, and I think they were done just masterfully. Yep. What is your first thing, Abu? My God, we need to talk about this embryo. Embryo. <laughs> yeah. My Holy goodness. Holy shit. <laughs> Holy shit, indeed. Embryo Alia. Yeah. Look, we have spent weeks, months speculating about how the heck Danny Villeneuve and this film were going to handle Alia, perhaps the weirdest yep. part of the second half of the book. Agreed. Somehow they kept it all under wraps for so long. 
And it truly wasn't until last week when the film was finally doing like premieres in Mexico, premieres in London, that Anya Taylor-Joy started appearing at those premiere films. And we finally, basically the rumors were finally confirmed that she was cast as Alia in the movie. Yeah. So yes, Alia is in the movie. Yes, she's played by Anya Taylor-Joy, but no, she is not some talking, walking baby. (laughs) And overall, her role is diminished, right? Like, she is a less significant part of this story. And most of her interactions are through a game of telephone through her mom. Yeah, her mom's the, like, mech that she's piloting. (laughs) (laughs) So anime. I have a message from the baby inside of me. (laughs) What's the baby inside of you say? She says, you're too in love. That's (laughs) right. Okay. Yeah. Classic little sisters, man. Always critiquing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, wow. My God. So much to say here. Alia, simply an embryo in Jessica's womb, and she mainly communicates through her mother. This does mean that, obviously, this big change necessitates other big changes in the plot. Perhaps the biggest one is that Alia is not the one to kill the Baron. Paul walks up and does that himself, knife to the old throat. In my opinion, is this a huge, like, significant change to the film that breaks with, like, major themes in the story or sets up, like, huge plot holes in later films? No. No. The Baron died, and it was one of the Atreides that killed him. The facts are still effectively the same. The other change that happens because of Embryo Alia is the length of time Paul and Jessica spend in the desert. Yeah. In the movie, it's not made clear. No one actually says, like, oh, today is November 1st. (laughs) Like, we don't know the dates. And it's left vague how long Paul and Jessica are with the Fremen, how long his training is, when he finally takes his sandworm ride exam, all of that stuff. And I'm sure it's left sort of elusive on purpose. Because the reality is, is that it's got to be less than nine months, or else Alia would have been born by then. And thus, that time is shortened. Because in the book, we know the time skip is, I think, two years, a little over two years. And that timeline has been compressed. And I will say, this is something that you and I discussed. And something I believe you and I were pretty certain would happen, was that there would be some sort of timeline adjustment to accommodate a different Alia. And that's exactly what happened in the film. Yeah. The only mystery was how, like, wizened Gurney looks after, right. like, two months, three months. <laughs> that beard. That beard came in fast. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, it's we've seen it happen to Ben Solo, or we've seen it, whatever. Who was who uh, Obi-Wan? I guess Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Went that's from true. Ewan McGregor to... <laughs> Look, the desert does weird things to your body and hair, so... We're going to give him a pass on that. I'm also like, uh, my hair grows so fast. Like, I can't get haircuts fast enough, frankly. Oh, like, really? If I actually cut my hair as much as I should to keep it maintained, I'd be uh, well in the red in my budget. <laughs> so uh, some people just grow hair fast, man. Gurney's, okay. Gurney's got that those good genes. Sure, sure. Uh, one other change I wanted to quickly call out is that, yes, we see Anya Taylor-Joy in Paul's coma vision. Uh, Paul does like quote unquote meet her and speak with her and she is presumably the one that tells him about their Harkonnen lineage. Very cool that we get to see what is presumably Messiah Alia, the Alia that we will see in the next movie. 
and she looks appropriately aged up. She looks like right about the correct age that she was in the book, perhaps a couple more years added on to make it less teenage creepiness. I think it's perfect. I, I, I loved how that was handled. That's my take on this whole Alia thing. It's perfect. It's exactly how I believe Alia should have been handled in this film to walk that very fine line of honoring the source material, setting up the next movie, but also not losing audiences on making it too weird with a yeah. walking preborn baby that you probably have to like awkwardly CGI. Right. So I love it. It was a great decision to make this change in my opinion. And this somehow already has me hyped for Dune Messiah <laughs> because yeah. now I can't wait to see Anya Taylor-Joy as Messiah. I love that casting as well. Yeah, she's great. She's amazing. Okay, what's your second topic of discussion? Uh, this one's pretty quick. Uh, just like the generations of the Fremen. Mm. I think in this movie, we see a lot of the juxtaposition of like the young Fremen with Chani and Shishakli yes. against like Stilgar and the other elders, right? Right, right. And putting it as like basically like Gen Z, millennial, Gen Alpha, like younger northern Fremen versus yeah. those kind of more superstitious, more traditional southern Fremen who are, they believe in desert gins and they, right. be, you know, believe in all this like hokey Reverend Mother Sayadina stuff. Like that is a change, right? Like in the book, Chani is, uh, is a Sayadina. She's a, she's a Reverend Mother in training and is kind of bought in on it. Like she's the one that brings the water of life to Jessica. She's part of the ceremony in the book mm -hmm. here. They're outside being like, yo, whoever drinks poison's a fucking idiot. <laughs> Got them <laughs> high-fiving each other. Like it's right. very, it's very different, but it feels very, very familiar to modern audiences, especially this like wave of generations who are now grappling with their parents' traditions and their parents' beliefs mm -hmm. and going, mm -hmm. oh, maybe I don't super buy into all of that. You know, it feels very, flushed out like it makes the fremen culture feel very much more real and very much more thought about and it dodges this kind of caricature of the kind of desert superstitious primitive culture yes. who's just all ghosts and you know mythology right right yeah you know it's it's so cool it's this kind of balancing act that i really appreciated um i also just will say i'll finish on saying i fucking loved shishakli yeah oh my so gosh. much like, I think, like many people, I was like, why the fuck is this a character? <laughs> this is a character who came up, like, twice in the book. Right. And yet she has all this screen time. She's got a bunch of lines. She's talking back and forth. But in a movie where we had to be convinced that Chani, who in the last movie said almost nothing to Paul at all, was actively falling in love with him and reevaluating him and taking into consideration these different qualities of his giving chani a peer uh like a girlfriend a, to, to mm. like chat with with whom maybe she a could former lover maybe a f former lover sure <laughs> no no i didn't get that vibe but, you know. <laughs> i didn't either but you know there, there's probably gonna be like a fanfic out there soon so oh for sure <laughs> you know because it's good if it exists there's porn of it right yes that's right but uh this is someone that she could actually use as like a sounding board. Like we got a peek into Chani's psyche as she's going, well, Paul's not like the other offworlders. Yeah. It was wonderful to give Chani's character depth and to give a voice 
to the younger Fremen, this younger generation of Fremen. And also we see some of Chani's social circle. They're laughing. They're often a little like lean to right. making jokes and shit. And Paul's like, what are, what are you, what are is you there, laughing is about? There, is there a room at the table? Is there a room at the table? And they're like, no, idiot. Shut up. My <laughs> mom, like, my mom packed lunch lunchable i have a lunchable if you want my capri son <laughs> and i'll also point out that suhila yakub whose name i still probably am butchering did such an amazing job i yeah. mean imagine coming to the table and it's like timothy chalamet zendaya javier bardem uh rebecca ferguson these are your scene partners right so like fucking amazing job great 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 job it's just a shame that Elvis shot her <laughs> with a a full flamethrower. Yeah, it was uh, that, that. That's my second takeaway: the Fremen generation. Yeah, I love it. I couldn't agree more. I, it gives us a fuller Fremen culture than we even oh, got yeah. in the book. And the book goes very in depth about Fremen culture, especially latter books, and especially the Dune Encyclopedia. Much of that we've talked about on this podcast, but I think in the movie. You don't have time to dive into Dune Encyclopedia amounts of lore. You have to show that this culture is nuanced and has depth and three-dimensional and not, as you stated earlier, just this like superstitious cult right, of weirdos right. out in the fucking desert who believe right. in that thing. Yeah. And this achieves that perfectly. Having Shashakli there, having Chani there, having the younger Fremen question the prophecy achieves that. It's so good. It's so good. Well, I do have a bit, a bit more to say about the prophecy and the Fremen, mm-hmm. but let's take a quick breather, Leo. But dear listener, don't go anywhere. When we come back, there's still much more to chat about. So we will see you in just a minute with more Dune Part 2. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. Never you fear. We've got more thoughts about Dune Part 2. In our brains. In our brains. We're about to say them out loud. <laughs> the next thing up is is another of yours, Abu. What's your, uh, what's your next pick? Okay, so I wanted to chat for a little bit about Stilgar, mm. my guy. Mm-hmm. Stilgar the Believer in particular. Yeah. I absolutely loved how well this film handled this very delicate and messy question of the prophecy. Yeah. How do we show the prophecy? How do we question the prophecy? How do we make it clear that the prophecy is manipulation? There's all of these balls to juggle when it comes to the Lisan al-Gaib. And this movie uses its characters to full effect. 
because on one side we have Jessica pushing that Benny Jesuit narrative, that missionaria protectiva, Lisa Al Gaib. She's being political. She's being religious. She's being manipulative. She's being strategic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And on the other side, we have Stilgar. My guy believes in this prophecy. Has always believed it down to his bones. Yeah, yeah. And Javier Bardem's amazing performance in capturing that fanaticism yeah. was incredible. It wonderfully embodied all of this about the prophecy, how someone can be so steeped in it and how someone can be so manipulated by it. And I really loved that it also touched on this idea of the colonizer versus the indigenous people and how Stilgar, who of course is indigenous Fremen, can so vehemently and so fully fall for this like colonizer narrative that's been planted within his people. Right, yeah. He's a believer through and through. He's a man of faith. And like those fundamentalist Fremen from the deep south, from below the Mason-Dixon night here, <laughs> the prophecy like fully shapes his worldview. He's out here collecting water for a dream of a green Arrakis. He's out here looking for signs of the Lisan al-Gaib. And that fanaticism is clear from the moment we arrive in Siege to Burr at the start of the film. Because there's a scene where Stilgar has to sit down and basically convince this, like, council of elders to accept Paul and Jessica, to accept these outsiders in their community. And he gives them the sales pitch that I got the sense they've gotten a number of times from him already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the one. The signs are all there. He is the Lisan al-Gaib. Trust me. I think one of them literally says, you've said this before. Yeah. Like, again, right. you're saying this. Right. And so to make him, like, the believer, the fanatic puts this whole prophecy in a much different context than in the book. Because one of the failings of the book, I would say, is making it seem like the Fremen are this homogenous group who all believe. Right. And here, as you stated in uh, your topic as well, that's not true. Right. Even among the Fremen, there are skeptics. And there's clearly a divide between which Fremen believe in the Messiah and which don't. And what I really loved... And like, I wanted to stand up and shake my fist in the air when someone said this. I love the divide between the young Fremen and the old fashioned Fremen, like Stilgar, Chani, Shashakli on one side, Stilgar, and some of the elders and believers on the other side. At one point, during a disagreement with Stilgar, you know, he was like, oh, just, just wait, just, you'll see, you'll see. Uh, trust me, he's the least Al Gaib. One of the younger Fremen, I don't know if it's actually Shashakli or Chani who says this, but one of them says, the Lisan al-Gaib should be Fremen, and we should be saved by one of our own. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh my goodness. I felt that, like, deep in my bones. And the way this movie, like, challenges these ideas of Fremen and challenges what is so often mistaken about the book as a white savior story, right? Right. Even these Fremen are here, like... I don't want this white boy saving anything. I'll save myself. Yeah. Incredible. And this line was repeated more than once in the film. And I feel like that was very intentional. And they were very delicate in their treatment of that. Yeah. Even the, because I think Paul and Chani at one point talk about it. He's like, well, I have a Fremen name now. And she's like, well, yeah, right. you are accepted among the Fremen, but you are not like from the desert. Exactly. Yeah. Again, that is something that continues to be true and resonant through dune messiah as well like it's yeah. just 
it's such a important piece of Paul is and never becomes fully Fremen. Yes. He is always the young man from Caladan. Yeah, totally. Such a great point. So to wrap up what I wanted to say about Stilgar here, ultimately, as we know from both the book and this movie, the Bene Gesserit manipulation is quite strong. The breeding program can't be topped. Paul's got those genes. Those visions are still happening. <laughs> yep. And Paul's legend inevitably begins to grow, helped along by Jessica as the new reverend mother sort of stoking the flames. And we see Stilgar fall deeper and deeper into his belief. I loved that naming ceremony in the movie came later. Mm, yeah. In the book, it happens like right away. James fight, name is cer- naming ceremony, Usul, Muad'Dib, you're one of us, you know? Yeah. In the movie, he has to earn that. He goes through some of the trainings. He goes through some battles and like literally sheds blood, sweat, and tears with the Fremen out there yeah. before they accept him and give him the name Usul. But I loved how Stilgar, in particular, didn't just think the name Wadi was cute, but found a reason to make it another thing that proved his point. Lisan al Gaib. Muad'Dib, such a fitting name. It fits with the prophecy. Totally. Just falling deeper into that fanaticism. Absolutely. It's also Shishakli's suggestion that he needs a name. And again, to see the young Fremen accepting Paul, even if they are still skeptical of the sort of mysticism, is also a demonstration of like, what is Paul doing? He's fighting. He's being acknowledged. He's proving Mm -hmm. himself. And Mm -hmm. it's not just... Well, we go through the ceremony. You killed one of us. You are now accepted among us. Okay, we give you a name. Bureaucracy, bureaucracy. Right. <laughs> it's like, right. hey, idea. Yo, my name's Shashakli. I got to gotta give him a name, Stilgar. And Stilgar's like, oh, shit, that's a good idea. <laughs> I'll call him Usul. And Paul's like, Usul, fuck yeah. And they're like, what are you? So good. Yeah, and it's so good. Agreed. I really like that moment where everyone laughs because Paul's like, what do you call that? Bouncing mouse? And uh, everyone's like, ha, 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 ha. But Stilgar's like, no, no, no. Makes his own water. We follow all this shit. Very, very cool. And fucking Irulan later even repeats what Stilgar says. Uh, Muad'Dib shows the way for the Fremen. So this is like clearly, oh, it's so cool. Yeah. Anyway, Right. It it seeps into the legend and Muad'Dib takes on more than just being a mouse. It's wonderful stuff. Yeah. It's so good. The final thing I'll say is, my God. I had chills through this whole scene, but the moment late in the film where Paul finally declares himself Duke of Arrakis, Mm -hmm. and he finally fully takes on the Messiah role. I am your fucking Messiah. Look at me. I am the Lisan al-Gaib. Your grandma loved spaghetti. Okay? (laughs) Yeah. And the guy's like, oh my God, my grandma's secret she did recipe. Love spaghetti. How, how did you know? And he's like, I know every goddamn ingredient in your grandma's <laughs> secret recipe. I am the Lisa Al Gaib. He's just like cold reading. It had marinara sauce. <laughs> it did have marinara what sauce. The fuck? It oh had garlic. God. The other friend are like, did it have garlic? Oh my God, that sounds really good. Is your granny, does she still make it? Absolutely stunning scene. Yeah. Recipes aside. <laughs> and. Again, hats off to Javier Bardem for the fucking acting. Yeah. Because we see Stilgar fall to his knees. This is a moment of revelation. This is a moment of miracle in his lifetime. This man who has believed for so long Mm -hmm. is now seeing the Lisan al-Gaib, is now seeing the prophecy come true. Can you imagine 
what that feels like. Javier Bardem certainly did imagine, and we saw it all over his face in that scene. Not to mention, we see throughout, because Paul is very like, I am not the Mahdi. Yes. I am not the Lisan al-Gaib. And Stilgar is like, I'm going to choose to believe that he's being humble in spite of everything, and I'm going to demonstrate my faith by clinging to this belief that he is actually, despite his word, the Mahdi, the Lisan al-Gaib. Yeah. So that also is a moment of validation for him, because this whole time, I'm sure there have been Fremen going, God, give it a fucking rest, Stilgar. Didn't you yes. hear him two days ago? He said he wasn't. Yes. And then he's going, oh, I was right. I was right to to believe in spite of what he was telling me. Everything, it's like that, that collapsing of, of doubt. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. So good. So hats off to Javier Bardem. Hats yes. off to the filmmakers for handling this prophecy perfectly yeah, and with such delicacy and for somehow managing to get such a complex idea across through its characters, through characters like Stilgar and Jessica. Between the Loved crazy it. fight scenes. It's like, right. what, a, what a balancing <laughs> act. And they just did it so well. They did it so well. Okay. What is your third and final topic you wanted to touch on today? I wouldn't be a host uh-huh. of Gamjabar. Gamjabar, it's in the name. Without bringing up the Gamjabar scene. Are you fucking kidding me? Oh my God. Both Shay! of us looked at each other in <laughs> like shock and awe when this happened. I cannot believe it. Denny Villeneuve deciding to show Margot Fenring basically seducing Faye, bringing him to her room, and mm-hmm. then putting him through the human <laughs> test? Are you fucking kidding me? Oh, my God. This is one of the most brilliant moves I've ever seen by an adaptation, like a director doing an adaptation. Yeah. Fucking awesome. Yes. And I just want to go through that timeline quickly because there are so many elements of it. It's probably one of my favorite sequences in the movie. Yeah. So Margot, right? Leia Seydoux. Oh, unbelievable such a good performer she's also great in like the french dispatch and she's she's an amazing actress love Mm -hmm. her Mm -hmm. following fade into a restricted wing of harco city the strobe like black and white fireworks so cool and then the fact that she kind of like gently eases into fucking with his mind right like yeah he's like i'm gonna kill you for following me she's like or maybe i'm lost and then it just like becomes this weird dream sequence with like the flickering and her face is like partially obscured. So cool. And then him ending up in a different part of the city or the, the palace and not knowing how he got there. We are seeing her. We are seeing like the most masterful use of the voice where it's not someone going, drink the poison. <laughs> Let him do it. You know, like the many, many times we see the voice in this movie. Yeah. We are seeing her guiding him without him even being conscious of it. 15 out of 10. What an incredible sequence. And also, what young man wouldn't follow when he's like, where are you going? She's like, into my bedroom. (laughs) Turns and leaves. I nearly climbed over the seat in front of me to get to the screen to maybe try to get to that bedroom. Yeah. Uh I was seduced. I was fully seduced. (laughs) My belt buckle came undone. It was incredible. (laughs) Now, all of this builds up to her hitting him with the, like, kneel. And it's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then he kneels in front of her. Mm -hmm. Bade fucking Ralpha kneeling in the the bedchamber of a strange woman. And she's like, put your hand in the box. Uh, It's not a metaphor. It's a literal literal. box. (laughs) Insane. The gum jabar at his neck. 
I my jaw was on the floor. I couldn't believe it. So cool. We have talked at length, ad nauseum, about Fade Rautha as a necessary counterpoint to Paul. Like Paul and Fade as mirror pieces of the puzzle of the Quisatz Hatterach. Yeah. They're parts of the breeding program. Fade needs to be that sort of antagonist figure to Paul, but also doesn't shouldn't be an evil caricature. Yeah. So seeing Margot putting him through the same and the, the shot sequence being very similar, the look down at the box. Right. The kneeling, the the kneeling and then the the pan over to her holding the yeah. needle. Oh, it was intentionally oh. mirroring. It was so from the first film. Good. This is this is like if I were to argue, I don't know that I fully believe this. I think I'm getting there. We'll see how the final movie handles everything. But I think this is a better telling of Dune than Dune. And I think this is one of the moments that very much is a part of that argument. I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, Villeneuve look, is a genius. Like, does yeah. it change? Yeah. Like, we could get nitpicky here, right? We could be like, oh, but in the lore, like, you know, like, he's not the Kwisatz hat, like... We could get nitpicky about that because, yeah, technically speaking, in the breeding program, he's not a candidate. But uh-huh. this change not only makes the parallel of Paul and Fade so much more beautiful in this film, adds so much more tension to that final fight. Yeah. But the end result is also the same. He dies. Yeah. So great. <laughs> Nothing else to change about Messiah. He still dies. And again, just to be clear, the Benny Gesserit do the Gamjabar test on all sorts of fucking people. Right. They need to make sure they're using it as a filter to make sure they're not breeding animals with humans. So he passes the Gamjabar test. We don't see him pass, but he shows up at the end. Yes. He, I also like that she's like, he enjoys pain. Oh, I bet he was oh. like, this is such good foreplay. Fuck, this box is... Can I keep the box? What else can I put in the box? Can I put anything Hello. in the box? <laughs> she's like... This is not. Um, I'm kind of into it though. <laughs> like, this is. Hmm. Oh yeah. Oh, there are some BD and SM. Yeah, a hundred percent. All ha- all happening in that seduction that night. He was. I mean, he's just happy to have someone who's like brave enough to take the reins. You know, <laughs> figurative or literal. Yeah, uh, indeed, indeed. Yeah, it very very incredible. I I just I love that. I I can't believe we got a second Gamjabar sequence. Incredible. So happy. Yeah. Um, that's my final point, but naturally I wanted to lightning style, <laughs> just single bullet Classic. points. Classic. Classic no, Leo move. It wouldn't move. be Gamjabar if you didn't do that. No one can I'm fucking stop it. me. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Paul's anger as Muad'Dib shouting at the Fremen. Where did Timothy Chalamet get that force of yes. personhood? My God, it was incredible. Scary. Electric. The tech throughout the movie was so cool. Sand snorkels, wind traps. We got the cistern. We got those little mobile water injector pump things that yes. like Chani was like pulling the water from the still <laughs> living guy. And he's yeah. like, stop. And she's like, fuck off. I'm taking your water. So, like, good. What do you want? so good. So good. The pirate sail on the smuggler's carry-all. Yes. Uh... Fucking cool. Also just... The black and white shield, the shield in black and white on the Giddy Prime like Coliseum fight looks right. so fucking cool. Oh my god! Uh, next point, Cheops, cool. Next point, the <laughs> set design in this film was fucking awesome. <laughs> the Siege Turber looked incredible. I can't wait to go frame by frame and to look at all the writing on the walls. Yeah, unreal. Oh Chiton was so lush and beautiful. The bird song constantly in the background. Oh my goodness! I need to vacation on Chiton. I want to live there. It's so nice. <laughs> and then Giddy Prime felt like a shitty nightclub. It was perfect. Yes. So good. Stilgar, next point. Stilgar, funniest character in the in the movie. Laugh out loud funny. God damn it. He's so funny. 
Javier Bardem is a national treasure yes. of every nation. Hand that neighbor Mike and get him on a stage <laughs> in the comedy cellar tonight. Yeah, his crowd work unparalleled. <laughs> yeah, the line about the gin is so funny. He's like, ha, boo, ah, okay. No, but seriously, uh, be careful. <laughs> so funny. Uh, Gurney, we talked about this. Gurney Halleck as the key to the the House Atreides family atomics. Oh my goodness. So fucking smart. It makes so much goddamn sense. It makes so much sense that you're kind of like, why wasn't this in the book? <laughs> Come on, Frank. Why didn't you put that in the book, Frank? Incredible. So good. Also, that whole sequence was so funny. Like, that's a dumb place to hide them. Well, did you find them? Yeah. No. Right. What well. a genius way to get that, like, Gurney Stilgar banter in there. Oh, they're dads. They're just both dads arguing. I love it. So love cute. It. So good. And then finally, of course, I mentioned this earlier, but again, just Alia's presence in the movie. So yeah. bold. So fucking cool. Done beautifully. I'm, I'm over the moon. What a great movie. What a great movie. Okay, Abu. What's your final, your final pick? Okay. My final pick gets a little bit more meta. Sure. Because I've said this before on the podcast. This should not be surprising to anyone that I'm saying this. The Fremen are brown people. Yeah. They are based heavily on Arabic and Muslim culture mm -hmm. that Frank was inspired by and borrowed from. That's, like, <laughs> that's fact. <laughs> yeah. Every other adaptation that we've talked about on this podcast casts the Fremen as white people. Yeah. In the deep desert, in the scorching sun. Yeah. I got a sunburn watching this movie. I'm a white person. <laughs> it doesn't, the math doesn't math. Even the remotely. math simply doesn't math. And every time I watch another adaptation, I'm like, did we read the same fucking book? We did talk about the how they just like cast all the people from the place where they were filming and it was like the Czech Republic. So they're all right. Czech. But you're right. right. Like Lynch, no excuse. And generally yeah. fly some fucking people in. Go to Morocco. It's not that far off, you know? Jesus. No excuse. No, no excuse. excuse. Finally, in Dune Part 2, Denny Villeneuve has put faces of color among the Fremen. Yeah. Finally, someone gets it right and honors the original inspiration for these characters. Frank borrowed from a culture, and thus, when we see that culture on screen, we need to see the inspiration. And we finally do here. Loved it. And here's the thing. That's not where this film stops. They didn't just go, well, Fremen, we need to cast people of color for these roles. Cool. Done. Check mark. Let's move on. No. They took it a step further. Because throughout this whole film, and we talked about it in part one, throughout part one as well, there is so much Islamic imagery and all these nods to Islamic history and culture and traditions. And I, for one, would like to say, mashallah, baby! <laughs> Finally! Yeah. Dune is more Muslim. It's yeah. always been fucking Muslim, <laughs> and it's never been showcased as that way yeah. until now. A couple of examples that come to mind. You mentioned Stilgar and the Jinn. Yeah. Genie are a long-held storytelling tradition. Many stories and fairy tales in Asia, in Africa, in Muslim communities across those continents contain Genie and Jinn. Mm -hmm. And you're goddamn right that Stilgar believes in them. Yeah. Amazing that we got that little touch of Islamic history and Islamic storytelling in Stilgar's character. Another example, all throughout this film, it's slapping you in the face with everything that the Fremen are wearing. The Fremen garb, the Fremen architecture is all heavily inspired by Arabic and Middle Eastern and, and Egyptian design. That aesthetic is all over this film. Yeah. So many scarves and so many like 
people in long, loose, flowy clothing with like embroidery, intricate and gold embroidery all over it. That is the type of clothing I grew up watching my mom wear. And now I'm seeing the Fremen wear it on screen in one of my favorite stories that is inspired by the same culture that my mom is from and that I'm from. Yeah. Amazing. That touched me so deeply. We also see in this film groups of Fremen praying. Mm -hmm. And I realized that like all praying is basically the same. It, It involves some sort of like getting on your knees and doing hand motions. Right. But there is no way that the praying we saw in this film wasn't intentionally meant to mimic the way that Muslims pray, the way that like I was taught to pray growing up. Yeah. All the correct movements were there. All the hand movements were there. And fucking fight me on this because (laughs) I would know. I've been doing this for 30 years. I saw the hand movements. Loved it. Loved these nods to the original inspiration for the Fremen people. And I do want to step back and I want to say, I've already seen some tweets and hot takes out there. This is inevitable that there will be some sort of backlash. But there are folks out there who are seeing this imagery in the film and getting real twisted about it, right? Like claims of appropriation and claims of fetishizing Islamic history and culture and imagery for the sake of telling a white person's story. Right. I, to be clear, I'm not here to tell anyone what they should think about this movie or how they should feel about it or how any of the imagery should affect them. And I'm certainly not here trying to speak for any Muslim out there or any people, any other people of color out there who watch this film. This is my opinion. But as someone who is deeply knowledgeable about this world and this story, mm-hmm. I don't see anything disrespectful being done here on the screen. Mm-hmm. In fact, we're seeing these Fremen people who are ignored, subjugated, and disrespected by the larger powers that be in the Imperium, Mm -hmm. being hoodwinked, manipulated, and colonized by the rich and powerful houses of the Great Imperium, the white people, let's say, Mm -hmm. who want their resources and their talents, their fighting abilities, and their deep desert knowledge. And that statement, that idea that is very present and very clear in this film, should sound so fucking familiar to anyone who has passed eighth grade history. So that's my two cents on that. I know inevitably there are going to be takes out there that disagree with me on this. I'm interested in hearing those takes. I will certainly read those takes and keep an open mind, but I, for one, don't see it. Mm -hmm. I, I don't see anything wrong with the way things were represented in this film visually. And in fact, I think many things were done right. And I think many things were done respectfully for both honoring the source material and honoring the culture from which that source material drew inspiration and from which Frank drew inspiration. And I, for one, appreciated seeing parts of my culture up on the screen in such a big blockbuster film. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll just say, like, I appreciate that you're being sensitive to other people's having, like, valid alternative takes, but like this is this is you seeing your culture and seeing things that are important to you on the big screen and being represented by a filmmaker who if he were following the trends in hollywood doesn't necessarily have to do that he could just whitewash it like so many people have whitewashed everything totally so it's like fuck yeah no one can take that from you that's sick that's cool thank you yeah as a white man i approve (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh as 
as a brown person, I've been seeking your approval <laughs> this whole time, and I've finally gotten it. As it should be. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cancel us. We're joking. <laughs> no, and... Uh... Oh boy! With that, on that note, <laughs> on that very heavy topic, maybe I should have started with that one. Anyway, no, it's fine. But listen, if you're 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 still listening, you've seen this movie. We've seen this movie. We want to hear what you think about it. Yeah. Tell us your thoughts. You just saw the movie. Send us an email. Gamjabarpodcast at gmail dot com. Right. What was your favorite scene? What criticisms did you have? We had to really pick our brains. We did come up with some that we'll talk about in our you know massive six hour thing. Totally. But you know, what, what, what criticisms did you have? What did you love? What brought you to tears? What made you laugh out loud? We want to hear all of it. Again, it, maybe you have friends and family who have excommunicated you because you talk about Dune too much. Welcome to the club. <laughs> We're still here for you. So That's right. You have a hear. new family now. <laughs> we are your family. <laughs> Parasocial family. And on that note, we have some ways that you can support us where you can support the family. Oh, that's right that's, that's starting right. to sound a little culty it's all, yeah. it's sounding a little culty but i'm gonna go ahead and lean in you can help this family stay intact and stay together <laughs> yeah by becoming a patron on <laughs> patreon.com slash gomjabar you get some cool benefits you get ad free episodes you get early book club check it out that is the single best way to support this show and make sure that we can continue to do what we do for years to come another great way is to check out our merch store at gomjabarshop.com we have some Really great swag there with custom-made designs. Check all of that out. Get yourself something nice. Get a loved one something nice. A family member, perhaps. All of those links are going to be in the show notes below, so please check them out. I, I was thinking about, because we both wrote in our notes, still suit full of piss. Yeah. Just, like, immediately, as soon as it was said. Mm -hmm. What if we, what if we made a white t-shirt with just our handwriting of still suit full of piss <laughs> <laughs> on the chest? <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tempt me. Don't tempt me with a good time. Either that or just Cheops. Like, there, it was funny the things that you and I both just immediately yeah. instinctively wrote down. I mean, Jamis Juice, Jamis Juice was one that ended up in both of our notes. I mentioned this on the Patreon. The Literally, the, the software could not tell that my handwriting was writing. <laughs> it was like, really? what are these scribbles? It wouldn't allow me to redact it. So I had to like manually block it oh, out. It was wow. very strange. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah, my handwriting, handwriting is was, terrible. I thought you have good handwriting. It's okay sometimes when I can see, but I was also watching as I was writing words. So uh, right in in pitch darkness, in pitch black, you know, yeah. I couldn't really see what I was writing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, there's some great merch ideas from Doom Part Two. <laughs> Still that we should full maybe of jump piss. on. Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic. So help spread the word of Muad'Dib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lord Party Podcast Network on lordparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. We're also on TikTok at Gamjabar Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And remember... Whoever controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the Golden Path.